Okay, we're studying Hebrews, and we have a marvelous chapter we're in, Hebrews chapter 12. The key theme here is the idea, you know, putting this in context. In Hebrews 11, we studied these people of faith and how they endured, and many of them did mighty things uh, by faith for the Lord, and others were um, persecuted and martyred and distressed, but it said, of whom the world was not worthy. But nevertheless, they all persevered in their faith. So now, transitioning from this chapter 11 into chapter 12, the idea is that that we, or the Christian community, needs to persevere in faith just like uh, these great people did. And we we do so. We're in a long distance race. We have an anal- uh, excuse me, an athletic analogy, a metaphor, where we need to run with the race to the very end and do so with endurance. And we do in the and we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And we talked about that one and thought of, and then and then Jesus serves as an example of one who suffered and who endured hostility against himself. And if we think about him, then we'll not grow weary and lose heart. And then we finished, uh, this was a few weeks ago, that's why I'm giving a reiteration. Um, it says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. So another athletic metaphor, this one from the boxing arena. Now, from this, we're going to transition into the idea of discipline. And the main theme, or the thesis here, is that this, the Christian community, in this case the Hebrews, that their suffering is something that God is using to discipline them. And that's the topic. Suffering as the discipline of the Lord. And the idea of it is that this discipline is for their good because God is treating them as sons. That He is the perfect, loving Father, the Heavenly Father, and because he receives this Christian community as his sons, he disciplines them that they may grow and partake of his holiness. That's the theme that sort of that we're going to start. So let's start with verse five, and I'll read a few verses here. Hebrews twelve five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as, with you as with sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? So, it's the universal experience of true sons, people who are adopted into the family of God, that they experience discipline, uh, from the Lord. Okay? So let's look at verse 5, which is a continuation of verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin, and you have forgotten the, dis- the exhortation addressed to you as sons. Then he quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. That's where this comes from, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Now, the idea was that this Christian community, this Jewish Christian community in the first century, was uh, losing heart. Uh, the sufferings they were finally deciding, or at least some of them were tempted to apostatize because they thought it isn't working, it's not worth it. We had it better when we were back in Judaism. We weren't under all the same persecution, all right? Not that Jews weren't persecuted through the ages, but at this stage in history, they had more favorable status than the Christians did, and and the Christians came under persecution from the Jews and from the Romans. So, um, and plus the other issues we talked about, they had the, they wanted a more tangible religion, they wanted the temple, they wanted the high priest, the real, the blood they could actually see rather than the blood that was shed within the veil once for all by, by Christ. And so they're considering it's not worth it anymore. And so the exhortation here is to tell them that this is not some strange thing, this is what you should expect as a Christian. Yes. I always thought of this as just general suffering, me getting sick or losing a job or whatever else you happen to have. But the context, the way you explained it, seems to be much more the suffering that God imposes his discipline to, 
in this case is persecution. Yes, there are. Um, if you think about suffering that's common to Christians, persecution being one of them, you don't fit into the world anymore, so you're always going to be the oddball. You don't really fit in. You're not going the same direction as everybody around you. That's one type of suffering. Another is just, you know, direct verbal or physical persecution, being ostracized. Another is this, that I think we can, if we look at the whole counsel of God, one of the types of suffering that Christians have is that you're resisting sin. Notice it says here, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. It, um, because we have the Holy Spirit, because we know we're called to God's holiness, but yet we're not perfected, our sin grieves us. Right? And it's a battle to overcome it. And there's certain suffering that comes with any battle. You suffer more when you're at war than when you're not. Right? So if you just decide it's not worth it and cave into sin, you don't have to resist. You don't have to strive against it. You just go with the natural inclinations of the fallen nature and you can alleviate a little suffering by backsliding. First, Keith and then Dean. In the context here, in this passage, is the striving against sin or resist to the point of shedding blood, if that's martyrdom, then I would strive against the sins of the world by proclaiming the law of God and the gospel that came along with it as opposed to my own sins. Why would I be martyred for my own sins? Because if I have my own sins and I'm martyred, then I'm just getting into recompense the judgment for what I do. Yeah, but I don't know that I would restrict that to martyrdom there in, in verse um, 4. I'm trying to remember. That's what we said here a couple weeks ago, a week ago. I had a friend of mine that said that what he thought that verse meant was that when Jesus is in the garden saying, not my will but thine be done, he shed drop blood, and that we haven't done that yet, but I don't know anybody that's done that. Uh, that's that's true. I th- I am not discounting the imagery of martyrdom here, okay? But striving against sin certainly um, means that we are not satisfied being sinners and in, in wicked. You know, we're trying to change. But I don't suffer from the world because I'm, I'm striving against my own sin. Typically, I suffer because I'm proclaiming the gospel. Well, it's both and. I, I, I know when I became a Christian, uh, and this one guy was just violently hostile against me. I, I'm surprised he, he was, a couple times I thought he was going to beat me up. I mean, he, he came after me one time, uh, with his fist, just, he got really close to me and I just stood there and he stopped. I don't know why he did. It was just, it was the Lord. But I think part of the reason the world's hostile to us is they don't want to believe that God can change somebody. And if he starts changing us, uh, they want us to backslide so they don't have to feel like we're any different. So I think part of persecution does come when we strive against sin because we're trying to be different. If we're not any different, they, we don't bug them. And, our ver- and I agree, but it's both and. Our words also bother them because we tell them that they're sinners. It sounds like that we're all too willing to hold on to that verse, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and to rationalize our way into just getting into sin. We haven't strived enough against that. Okay. I, I, do, I, I think that there's a passage in Peter about this. Yeah, let's look at 1 Peter 4. It might shed a little light on it. About our relationship to our former life and our former friends. It also talks about suffering. Okay? Where? 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's kind of look at that together. I, I think this is certainly... Uh, yeah, starting with one. I'll just read a few verses here. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I wonder why that purpose... Is. death is what my... Christ has suffered death. Yeah, Christ suffered death. But the point was to deal with sin. 
But notice verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Right, so now we have a different purpose. We're not living for the lusts of the flesh like the world is. Uh, second John, or first John 1, you know, first John 2, 14, 15, 16, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. But notice this, verse 3, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to be carried out the desires of the Gentiles. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, and in all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them to the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. So here is persecution coming because you're not joining their party. And, and I experienced that when I was a new Christian. And I think part of the deal is that your old friends don't want to believe is true. They just want to think you got religion and that you'll get over it. All right. And, and if they can get you over it with them, they figure, great. Now we don't have to feel guilty about maybe this gospel's true. And so I think that dynamics there. Um, but yeah, I agree with Keith that in Hebrews, any, we haven't suffered martyr's death, so it's not like we got it so bad. All right. That's the point. Isn't there a passage in Genesis about a lot being grieved because of the Second Peter 2. Yeah, Second Peter chapter 2. It says he was grieved by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. And Lot was, you know, Lot was uh, part of Abraham's household, but I mean, he was flawed in a lot of ways. Yeah, he wasn't the most admirable character in the Bible by far. But he was, you know, he still um, was grieved for whatever righteousness he had. Yeah, exactly. So, on the level of direct persecution or suffering, on the level of, by, because we have the Holy Spirit, we can't be satisfied just sinning. Alright? Um, every truly regenerate Christian grieves in some regard over our own state. And to give up is to quit fighting it, quit fighting the battle. Join the world. Get, see, if you're going with the flow, there's a lot less resistance. And you don't have to fight the world of flesh and the devil. You just join them. And then you don't have to suffer in this life. <laughs> there's a couple of problems. The other problem is that you know better. Um, I, uh, you, a person who's never known the Lord, just, you know, they go to the parties like everybody else. And that's just what life's all about. But if somebody who really knows the Lord and is falling backwards, they can't get rid of their conscience. It just doesn't go away. It never will either. You're always going to know better. You're never going to be able to act like you never knew any better. If you're apostate, that's what you have to do is to train your conscience not to be, to harden your conscience or to sear it so you're not, right. it doesn't work anymore when you go sinning. Right, but it's, if you're true, I think if you're truly saved, God will, not let you get by with it, and he'll bring you back out of it. So, um, anyhow, what's it say here? The discipline of the Lord. It may. Let's think about disciplining children now, um, because that's the analogy here. Children don't come with a built-in sense of what's good for their own selves. That's just a truism. Do you all agree with that? <laughs> Yeah, children don't come in such a way that if you just let them have everything they want, it's going to be good for them. And as a matter of fact, the children that end up the best off and are shown the most love are the ones that have parents who don't give them just what they want, but who have the wisdom to know what they need and require of them discipline, require that they do what's right, not what they feel like doing. And if you have parents like that, you're very blessed. And if you didn't have, it's a curse. Now, God, you can overcome that because the key thing is it's just an analogy. Ultimately, it's the Lord who disciplines us. But it is a curse to grow up undisciplined. We, um, before, when this used to be a slum apartment back in the 80s over here, um, then it was abandoned for a while and then it was resurrected and it's been better. But when it was a slum, 
there were these kids out here, and I was watching how, it was unbelievable. These kids were anywhere from like four years old to ten or eleven, and they were being raised by the alley, literally. They had no dad, and the moms would be sitting up in an apartment smoking marijuana, and every once in a while they'd yell out the window at the kids. And that's all there was. They had a mom on dope and no dad, and the kids are out here running, and they'd be out on Nicolette, they'd be heading down all over, little kids. And they, that's all they had to do all day is just run around out on the streets and do whatever they saw fit, because they had not a single, they had a mom on dope and no dad. So who cares? And you wonder how, what happens, why these kids end up the way they do. It's just a horrible thing. And so I, I used to witness that out here, and it, it's a curse. Now, when you're a kid, you may think that getting your way and doing whatever you feel like would be great. Just let me run ragged. But it's actually a curse. Now, by analogy, as Christians, the fact that God doesn't let us just go run ragged, that God brings to bear discipline upon us by whatever providential, He has all, all means at His disposal. All things work together for the good of those who or call, all right? So God having all things at His disposal, whether it's hardship, whether it's people confronting us, whether it's suffering consequences, or whether it's whatever, He has the whole universe at His disposal to help us become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, as this process happens, whatever it may look like, it's there's no one thing that we can say this is what God's going to do. Because He treats every child exactly according to what they need in His infinite wisdom. It's not one size fits all. I, I wrote about that a little bit in my last article about this, these spiritual disciplines that people are talking about. So it's a presumptuous. What makes us think that we know what's best for our own spiritual well-being? That we're going to design our own program. We're going to design our own spiritual exercise program because we think we know what we need. All we know what we need is what God says every Christian needs. That we know. What else we might need, God knows. So like I said, if these people go take a vow of whatever and sit in solitude to get holy, how do they know that's what they need? If God knows you need solitude, He'll give you a job where you end up in solitude. But maybe what you need is to be around people. Yes? All of that, all, all of this is what we're talking about here, really is boils down to, but God disciplines us for our good. That's the last half of verse 10. But, but God disciplines for our good that we may share in His holiness. Mm-hmm. You know, if we recognize that, and if we recognize that from our own earthly fathers, then we're far better off, especially that don't recognize that. Amen. And there's an encouraging side to this that I want you to think about. And, that, and I think you can see that in here. There's the word for exhort in the Greek, all right, means to be called alongside. That word can be translated exhort, which means it sounds like it's corrective, but it also can be translated encourage because it's like two sides of the one coin. The exhortation comes in a sense with an encouragement. Now, the encouragement here is that the sufferings that we think we don't like are actually proof of sonship. It should help us have uh, encouragement that we really are God's sons, which is a good thing. Yes? Couldn't we that that He disciplines us and we share in His holiness is that discipline and that suffering is a means of grace? Um, well, the, only, I, the reason I wouldn't say that, uh, I think it is, but it isn't something that we avail ourselves of, but it's something God does sovereignly. Yeah, we get it for free. I mean, what we, normally when we talk about means of grace, it's things that we, we can choose to avail ourselves of, like prayer, fellowship, the Word of God, Lord's Supper, things like that. This discipline is something that if we take it into our own hands, then we're going this way of the spiritual disciplines, which I'm rejecting. So what we do is avail ourselves of these means corporately, and God disciplines us according to our own needs, even as an entire community. In fact, I was going to quote Lane he's here. He says, The sufferings of the community were actually disciplinary in character and expressed the love of God, the love that God has for his children. As proof of sonship, they reflected God's grace and forgiveness. 
So it's, it's not only an individual thing, it's a community thing. And a community of Christians can be suffering and discipline. Yes. I've heard it said that when God says don't do this, what he's saying is don't hurt yourself. And when, <laughs> and when parents don't discipline their children, if, if that's the case, eventually the world is going to discipline those children. And how much more fortunate if they're disciplined yeah. by their parents because their parents will do it in love. Yeah. Right. That's true. Trying to save us from outcomes that we don't foresee. Well, I have some verses here. <clears throat> Sam, do you want to do Deuteronomy 4, 9, and 10? Norma, Psalm 94, 12. Tim, Psalm 118, 18. And Mary, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. And Steve, James 1, 12. Okay, when you got it, Sam, Deuteronomy 4, 9, and 10. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Okay, learn to revere me by listening to my words. Psalm 94, 12. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. So you're blessed if you're disciplined by the Lord, is what it says. Okay, and, and again, linked to the teaching out of God's law. Part of our discipline is to submit ourselves. This is, this is something now, again, a means of grace that we need to do. Submit to the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, Psalm 118.18 The Lord has chastened me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Okay. There it is again. This is an Old Testament idea. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then then I am strong. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 12, interesting context here, talking about this discipline where Paul had a thorn in the flesh that Paul that God gave him. Alright? And it doesn't say what it was. It uh it's called a messenger of Satan. This thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. The word messenger is angel, by the way. So uh what exactly we don't know, but we don't have to know, but it was something that God allowed that came from Satan. Right? And it was very instructive because <laughs> yeah, it was a, ended up being a blessing because it was for Paul's well-being. <laughs> it, it is, it's an amazing thing, but if you get, understand this concept, it, it's very, very comforting. All right, because I've been getting, I got started getting a series of emails this week from a guy who all of his friends and relatives are into the spiritual warfare movement, and they're breaking curses and and discovering what. Their ancestors did so get rid of the generational curses and they're, they're rebuking Satan and they're, they're doing all this stuff because anything goes wrong, Satan did it, so they gotta do something about it. So I, I just sent him links to a bunch of articles I wrote on it. But if you look at Paul, this, we know it was from Satan. Alright? And so it was a messenger of Satan. So what did Paul do? He, he went to God and asked God to take it away. Three times. And the Lord's answer was, my grace is sufficient. Because Paul, uh, needed this difficulty to keep him from exalting himself because of the greatness of his revelations. That, that's the answer that was given there. All right. So, how exactly is that comforting? I think it's comforting if we realize that all things in God's disposal, including Satan, are only going to be for the benefit, ultimately, of his people of faith. If we are like Paul and we trust God in it. And... I can say for sure some of the things that happened to me, um, I went through a horrible period of my life for years. It was horrible. And it was the most life-changing thing that ever happened. And I don't believe I could be doing what I do now 
had that not happened. I don't think I'd be an effective pastor, and I don't think I'd be able to uh, be so gospel-centric. But I needed years of seeming failure. Now, I'm not going to ask for that. (laughs) Say, thank you, Lord, it's done with. I'm fine now, notice. (laughs) I don't know what's around the corner. (laughs) But... But, uh, you know, we're not masochistic, but the fact is that as, as, as we trust God, we realize He will discipline us for the purpose of holiness. And it's just we need to uh, realize that sonship is a precious thing. That we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and has our best interests in mind. And just like it's a wonderful blessing to have an earthly father who disciplines you because He loves you, what a, what a greater blessing to have God as your Father who loves you and will protect you and knows just what you need and what you don't need. And it says no temptation has overtaken us but what is common to man, but God will be, provide a means of escape. He won't push us beyond. He, he doesn't intend to destroy us. He intends to save us. So he'll, he knows what we can take and what we can't take. Yes, Sam. Comparisons about the earthly father and the heavenly father. Is that a, a parallelism? What is that? What do we do? Well, ultimately here it's a, um, a lesser to greater argument is where this is going. It's a Hebraic argument. If the lesser, Paul's going to, or whoever wrote this says, if the lesser is true, we had earthly fathers who disciplined as it seemed best to them. They may not have been that good at it, but at least they had the job. How much more, see the lesser to the greater, how much more will the Heavenly Father discipline? So that's the greater thing. It's more important and more true. Now, oh, we had one more passage, Steve, James 1.12. Um, yeah, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for he is tried, and he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Okay, so blessed is the man who's endured. And there's a reward for having endured. Yes, Brian. Is, uh, as a Christian, is there a way, or should you... As far as determining whether something happens in your life, whether that's discipline from the Lord, if you search yourself for any sin in your life, and uh, how would you determine if something is of the Lord or if it's not? Follow my question. Okay. Uh, yes. In, but I, I, we got to be careful because right. if, if we start thinking, okay, my car just broke down. Now, what sin did I do? Then you fall into a really kind of unbiblical thinking. So, rather than thinking that way, I would say, my car broke down, i got to trust God, and i got to persevere, i got to solve this problem, and I want to, you know, maybe maybe uh, I'll do it without cussing. <laughs> I don't know what it is you're trying to overcome, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You find something, but we don't necessarily know this. God knows. But in the process of faith, responding in faith and obedience to what God's doing, we'll grow and we'll overcome. Yes? I think that was a really big issue in my life. I grew up with that kind of teaching. If you're obeying God, things go well. And if you're not obeying God, then he sends these judgments on you. And I remember coming out of college, everything was fine, and then I couldn't get a job, and I had a broken engagement, and life was going down the tubes, and I repented of everything I'd done, and the things I'd never done, trying to get life done, and never got better. <laughs> it was a real, real fascination to me, I was trying to repent my way out of a hole, kind of. And ultimately, I think that this judgment mentality is anti-God and anti-Gospel, because if we believe in the Gospel, Christ has taken the judgments. When God judges... He's thorough. None of the righteous are judged, and all the evil guys are are judged. And it's not judgment if we're going on what it is, it's discipline. That's what we're talking about. Because things happen in life, we say, Father, just help me and accept it from the hand of a loving Father and go on. Because we, if I'm, and I think this is what the issue with me is, I was trying to judge my life, whether my car started or that kind of a thing. And it ends up being like a divination like the pagans do. Yeah. Well, this happened or... Yeah, why is God mad now? Yeah, why is God mad? And I'm yeah. trying to discern God's will for me 
you care means you like when something's good or bad. Good point. Now, let me elaborate on that. We know what sin is from the moral law of God, not by our circumstances. See, the pagans have no specific revelation. So you look at them, and let's say they're having a drought. Just take tribal paganism. The gods are angry we're having a drought. We don't know what they're angry about, but let's sacrifice our... Yeah, throw a, throw some babies into the fire or do some... They do all kinds of... Cut themselves, all kinds of stuff, trying to get the gods to relent over whatever calamity they're seeing because they don't have the moral law of God to say what sin is or what it isn't. Now, we have the moral law of God. That's how we know what sin is. Now, uh, as far as this kind of discipline... Okay, if we know the, what sin is from the moral law of God, then we have an objective reason to repent. But some of these things that God is doing is that we might grow in our walk with Him, and that we might become more like Jesus Christ, and that we might get prepared for some future ministry that He may have. We don't know what all He's doing, but he is, He's in charge of it. And we can't necessarily identify some sin that we'll get rid of, and then the law will go away. Linda? Well, you know, if disobedience brings discipline, then shouldn't obedience bring blessings? So I can understand what I can understand what he's saying about, you know, like he was thinking, well this went wrong, what did I do? Whatever. I mean, because I mean I think that we're we're supposed to believe that obedience brings blessings. Yeah, but discipline but discipline is a blessing according to this teaching. So obedience doesn't yeah, but it's, but it's Discipline comes from disobedience, and that is a blessing, but I mean, as far as, like, obedience. Yeah. Jesus is obedient, and he suffered. Yeah, see, there, it goes beyond that, Linda. Uh, the discipline is a sonship issue, okay, according to this passage. And yes, disobedience is something that we need to be concerned about and that God will deal with, but some of the... Um, you know, you know, when I'm thinking back on my own experience, when I went through some of the worst of the worst, as far as what was discouraging, there wasn't some thing I could change or something I could repent of. Nothing was going to change what I was in. And the question was, was I going to continue to serve God through all of this misery and trust that somehow God has a purpose for all of this? See, yeah, I suppose it's, in some ways you could say it's sinful because it's sinful that I'm not everything I should be in Christ. That I'm not perfectly holy. So there's a gap between me and the holiness of Christ. But it isn't one that can be changed by I'm just thinking, well, gee, I didn't go to church enough, I didn't pray enough, or I said some, something bad to, I shouldn't have yelled at my wife last week. Um, the, there was a bigger issue, and that is I needed to grow as a son. And that God was going to cause me to do that. And so it isn't just a matter of disobedience sometimes. Sometimes you're obedient and you still suffer. Like he said, like, like Paul or like Jesus. Okay, we've got a lot of discussions, Sam. Sometimes when we fall into, into I, I, I'm going to call it a trap, for lack of a better word. Sometimes we fall into the trap of trying to find out what I did wrong that, that is creating this punishment or this, this uh, muck in my life. When you open that door, then you open that door to all sorts of other people that are looking at you and saying, this guy needs help. I can tell him what he did wrong to improve his life. In other words, those are, those are open doors for cults. Um, so I, I personally have given up on trying to determine what I did wrong that has created this discipline in my life. Although discipline is a blessing. So I just leave it to the will of God. Thank you, God, for the discipline. Thank you. I just thank God and praise God for His will being done in my life. Yeah, I just thought of an analogy. When I was a young man on the farm, there were things my dad did. He, he would say, you're going to take music lessons. Well, I don't want to take music lessons. You're going to take music lessons. You're going to learn how to read music. You're going to learn how to play the piano. And you're going to be in band. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, you're going to do it. Now, I didn't do something wrong. He just wanted me to have that aspect of my life, something that was a part of my life. So that's what he did. And you're going to have, you're going to do chores. You got to go, you got to go out there and here's your job. Those hogs have to be fed and blah, blah, blah. So you do all that. Was he punishing me because I did something wrong? No, he was disciplining me so that I may grow up to be a responsible human being with an education. 
Do you see that? And so God is doing the same thing. It isn't always about what I did wrong. Okay, Linda, back to you because you started this question. I I had another thought about what I just said in terms of consequences because a lot of times, like, the discipline comes in, like, something that happens to you as a consequence of your action. Oh, yeah. Right, that's... That does work. <laughs> Thank God for that. Keisha says it's not a sin to be stupid. <laughs> Being stupid, it's not the judgment of God. It's just because <laughs> well, I don't know what cures that. <laughs> I think you really got to look right at the picture of Job here. We're missing Mark on that because his his friends were saying, "Well, what did you do wrong?" Yeah. I think what Keith just said too is, yeah. Well, if I don't put gas in the car and and it's on empty and I'm halfway church, it's going to really stink because I'm going to have a long walk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. So we learn from a lot of things that uh, Mike. My my wife grew up uh, with an alcoholic father, and she had to. she had to do a lot of things to take care of the kids. And, and she said she never had a childhood because she was always taking care of situations that were really uh, grossly out of hand. And uh, then her father uh, attained sobriety, and the last three kids were spoiled, more or less, because of his guilt over the alcoholism. But as they all grew up, my wife is more content and more able to handle situations where these these younger kids who didn't go through these these pr- tough years, um, they have all kinds of emotional problems and and they aren't as content with less and uh, you know there's there's a lot of uh, immaturity that that they never received because uh, you know they they were. They, they were shielded from the difficulties of life. Yeah. Okay, I'll leave. The thing is that if you do believe that I should be working so that life is going well, if it implies that I can eventually achieve the standard where I don't deserve it to be punished. And that's something that's very, very dangerous. And I'm abandoning the gospel. So it's also dangerous from that aspect. That that's a good point, Leif. You know, we live with a consciousness as we consider the gospel, that we're all the time being shielded from deserved punishment. Right? I, I, here's, here's the example. I, um, when I, I, I don't do a whole lot of counseling because that's not my role in life now, but when I was younger, I did it continually. All right? And people used to come in. I remember somebody, and I said this to several people. A lady comes in and says, I'm being punished for my sins. And I'd say, no, you're not. And she says, well, how do you know? I said, because you're still here. <laughs> if God was going to execute his punishment on you for your sins, you'd be in hell. He did. <laughs> yeah, yeah the this this wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is that my car broke down and my husband left me or whatever, you know, the problems are. Okay, so we have to start out with this baseline, you know, punishment for sins is death. And discipline is how God treats sons. Here, there's a generic term for male and female people who believe in him. Yes? I have two comments. I had a, my family was raised, I had, my mom and dad had five children, and then my mom raised the first five, and my dad left, and he had three more kids with the second one. And we were raised completely different. And my half-brother from the second marriage, they were all like silver spoon, no discipline. And he told me when he was 22 years old that, I know my mom loved me, but I wish she would have disciplined me. He never had that. And then it was like, wow, he realized that at 22, you know, what a difference. I used to have that as a love thing. That, and also, um, I think there's danger in thinking something is a blessing or a curse um, of God or Satan with the circumstances. Like, I had this girl that went to the club I worked out at, and she continually, she was well prosperity, and someone's car was broken into, and she told them, you know, if you were a Christian, that would have never happened. Oh, oh no! Oh. A lot of Jesus over stuff like that ever happened to a Christian. I go, well, I so I just think there's a huge danger in. <laughs> 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 
should have told her to wait because uh, it's going to happen. Something will happen. How to respond to people that think that, oh, it's a generational curse or, you know, obedience or... We're looking for cause and effect explanation about why one person's life is like this and another one's like that, and which Job's comforters were doing. And we don't know these things. What we know is that if we come to God in faith and believe the gospel and he washes away our sins, we are sons, right? We have divine sonship because of being adopted in the family of God. And therefore, he's our father and he's going to discipline us for our good. What that looks like, God knows we don't know until we experience it. Yes. But when you think about it with Joe, I mean, he was blessed for his obedience because he didn't fall away. Well, he was blessed, yeah, by faith and obedience, right? That's true. But in the same way with the Hebrews, that's what he, that's the concern is that they don't fall away. To, to be blessed in this is to accept it from the hand of God and keep serving Him and trusting Him no matter what happens. That is the ultimate wonderful blessing. And then we grow in grace and knowledge of God if we respond that way. In Jeremiah, was he continually obedient to his whole life, and he ended up dying in exile among pagans. Yeah, nothing good ever happened. We don't know. Yes, Dean. Sorry, I didn't have to here, but um, I'm distinguishing consequences of your sin and judgment of your sin. Is there a distinguisher? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. The judgment of your sin, if it was judged, would be yeah. death. Consequences could be, let's say you're... Um, Lusting for money, and you want to get your quick, get rich quick, so you run out gambling, and then the consequence is you have even less, and now you're in utter poverty because you gambled away your money. And that's a natural consequence that would come upon anybody that would do that. But for the Christian, you ought to be thinking, this is you know, this is really, I can't keep doing this. I need to change. So there are natural consequences, but we can't reverse that. All right. In other words, if you know what you did and you know what happened because of what you did, that's obviously a consequence. But when when you got a Job, he's sitting in his ash heap, scraping his boils. He doesn't know what he did. Because the Bible didn't say that happened because of something he did. There was neither a natural, uh, obvious cause and effect, nor was there any supernatural revelation of cause and effect other than God gave permission to Satan to do this. All right. So where we get in trouble is that we assume everything has some obvious cause and effect. So everybody that's poor obviously was a sinner or more sinful than I am. We don't know that unless you know that their poverty was caused by some particular thing like gambling all way all their money. Well, in the Old Testament, God gave the two mountains, it gave all of them, I can't remember which other one, it says it's the amount of blessing, it's the amount of cursing. That's true. Okay, so if you go over here and you do this and such, you will be blessed. If you do this and such, you will be cursed. And right. That's the okay, but, right, but, the, but take the bigger consequence of this, as we know from the, looking back from the New Covenant now. The end result was they were all cursed. Right. All right? Because nobody, cursed is he uh, who does not observe all the law to keep it. Galatians 3.13. So ultimately, the blessing was only found in one thing, and that's covenant faithfulness. And so the way they could, even in the Old Testament, the way they were blessed was not by perfectly obeying the law, although they were commanded to do so, but by going on the the, the Day of Atonement and admitting they hadn't done so, and bringing the blood offering and having their sins forgiven, and so ultimately blessing is by faith, not works. And taking the gambling example, if because he had a love for money, he went out and won. So you apparently blessed, I got all this money. In essence, that's a curse because you're feeding your love. <laughs> you didn't learn anything. Yeah, it may be a lot better blessing to lose your money and learn something. The, the whole concept of, the, of, of my external circumstances, saying whether I'm close to God or approved by God, is just... It's all about covenant faithfulness, yes. I think Linda and Dean have a valid point. If I do this, I'll be blessed. If I do this, I'll be cursed and pay the consequences. But the issue is, am I going to chase down what I think is the problem and be in control by fixing it myself? 
or am I going to walk through this trusting in the Lord? Right. I think it's a control. It's, uh, it's submitting. control, or am I going to submit to God and know that yeah. he's going to walk me through this? Trust God to sanctify us, to do what we need. And plus, reality is far more complex than that. We can't, um, we can't always know cause and effect. It's very, very difficult to ascertain cause and effect in a complex world. But we do know if we trust God and believe in him, he disciplines us as sons, that we might partake in his holiness. That's promise. Even if we had bad circumstances from this day to the end of our life, God is still going to faithfully bring us to glory as his sons. Uh, two points. The first, uh, God blesses the unjust as well. So Amen. He, cannot, he, cannot, he sends his reign on the just and the unjust. So it is totally bogus to even discuss that. Secondly, if you make an analogy, there's a pretty good one, a sports analogy, uh, for a guy who gets a big team of players, say runners, and he says, uh, boy, I got all these rough green head, green horns or whatever, and I'm going to make you into a distance runner. I'm going to make you into a uh, short, yeah, sprinter or whatever. And here's what we're going to do. Because I think you have, because I say you're going to be the distance guy, you're going to run every day this much. And you're a good runner, but you're not as good as you need to be. Right. Because I'm going to make you into what I want to make you into. That's what God says. He says, I'm going to make you into a vessel that is pleasing to me. You know, and so therefore I need to do this with you. And that's what discipline is, not necessarily, we're talking about correction a lot of times when you're really talking about discipline. It, yeah, it's it had, it's more, it's more, it's more many faceted than just simply correction of a sin. It's also the development of character. There's two aspects to discipline. And that's in regular parenting too. Alright? My dad, if I did something really bad, got out the, the yardstick. And it wasn't to measure me with. <laughs> All right? But he also, <laughs> he also took and told me I had to have the chores that I did every day and I had to study so much and I had to do this and I had to do that. So one thing is a correct, direct correction of don't do that. And the other is a development of character because he wanted to have a son who when he grew up, would be a good citizen. It would be bring blessing to the, the family. And so, in the same way, God is dealing with us, not only to correct our sins, but to develop our character. You wouldn't need somebody else to correct him later in life, because there's a lot of people out there waiting to correct you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'd rather have your dad correct you when you're a little kid than the police to do it when you're in your 20s. Uh, Diane. Dominic. And he shall give you the desires of your heart, the desire of your heart. That the discipline changes your heart so that your heart's desire is to serve him. The discipline um, changes you. It makes you a different person. It makes all of the things that happen um, to become like him and the discipline he is. Amen. Let me go, do one more verse 6 and then... It's a very invigorating discussion. <laughs> For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. So simply put, this is a sign of God's love. And if we're just allowed to run ragged, go our own way, do whatever we want, that's a bad sign. Right? But if God calls us up short, including consequences including circumstances, including putting us in a very difficult situation that we have to grow in our character in order to endure in the situation. That's God, yes. I don't know if that was a good one to open up because that leads a lot of questions. Now, scourging there, that's being whipped. I don't know, I, I can speak for myself. I surely don't have the marks on my back. <laughs> I don't think I've been through anything like that. That's so, true. So then it draws a question that I guess we were discussing last night. Wow, that, that's kind of scary, because it says directly that you should have some pretty big scars if you're a child of God. Well, now the scourging is by analogy, but you know they were the ancient world; they were pretty brutal about it. You know, we wouldn't, uh, but it would mean that you've been put to discipline. Yeah, very much so.
That's true. If, if there are, and, and it does happen. It, Psalm 73 talks about it. There are people who have wonderful lives, good families, good marriages, good businesses, and they, and they do well all the way through their life with very few sorrows and pains, and then they go to hell. Was that a good outcome? What profits it a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Like John MacArthur says, that'd be a bad deal. <laughs> All right. That would be a bad deal. And so the sons aren't allowed to just go through life with everything, you know, downhill and with the wind and stuff so that we don't think we need God or anything else. And God will do what it takes to, to, uh, get us to where we need to be. And only God knows what that is because everyone's unique in what they need. I'd like to say one thing, I you know, just uh, being a parent myself and, and raising up a couple of boys, is that I, I, I do things that I set up chores for them to do, not for any other reason than for their good. Yeah. Um, and that's no other reason than for their good, because by all means, it would be easier for me to do it myself. <laughs> and, you know, how gracious God is, because really, for all things, I think it would be easier for him to do it himself. <laughs> you know, that's a, I love that analogy. It would, would be much easier for God to do it himself than to use us. Yeah, because he has all power and he gets it right every time and we goof it up. So why are we doing it? Because we need it. Yes, one more thing and then we got to be done. I can't remember the exact verse that talks about God giving us everything we need to partake in the divine nature. Peter. One Peter. So, you know, what God has for us is that we partake in his nature. And that's that's the ultimate goal. And I think we always think of discipline as a negative thing, but, you know, all training, all instruction is discipline. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of positive aspects to that where the person comes out of the training or discipline more equipped to do something than he went into it. Yeah, amen. Well, we have some more to talk about on this and some more verses to cover about the discipline of the Lord is an interesting topic. It really is. And it's here for our encouragement that we might realize that God has our best interest in mind because we're his kids and he's going to take care of us.